All right. So here we are. Episode, I think it's 17, Bob. Wow. 17. 17 in the rack is what they call it. That's a radio term, I think. That's cool. L- look at us. We, we're learning terms like in the, I think it's in the can. In the can? In the, in the in can. Rack. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's in the can and then you put the can in the rack, I think is how it oh, works. I love it. I love that Something we're here. Along those lines. And we need to call ourselves talent too. That's right. That's yeah. right. And Gotta we have agent, uh, all that stuff. That's right. Start booking the Tonight Show. Yeah, that's right. I love fun. it. <laughs> we have we have more talent with us today. Awesome. Uh, we are joined with by Anna Barone. Welcome, Anna. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Yeah, no. So Anna is um, one of our teammates here at Insight, uh, responsible for this just sweeping part of our business which we call cloud success and part of that translates into helping our customers manage their cloud environments and so there's a lot that goes into it and we're really really happy to have anna join us so anna welcome welcome to the to the dialogue of two guys in a cloud (laughs) awesome sauce so awesome sauce i love that oh by the way so anna referred a movie. Yeah, you and I haven't even talked about this, but we were on a call and I, I asked a bunch of people, what's a good movie? And you threw out Love and Monsters and it was a while ago. So it could have been like six weeks ago even. And it was just out and I watched it and I thought it was really good. So thank you for that referral. I'm going to write Absolutely. that down. What, what, what service is it on? I, I think it's all over the place. I, I know you can get it on Apple. Okay. Um, but for our listeners, yes, that's our recommendation on our on our podcast. They love him. There's a lot of good stuff out there, but love and monsters. It was really it was really funny. It was funny, which I thought was great. Good. Yeah, we all need a good laugh. Nowadays. Yeah. that. So Anna, okay, so our our tradition here is, you know, we we like to ask our guests to give us give us their you know high altitude. This is my journey in the business because a it's always interesting, and then b it helps give us a good starting point in terms of, you know, what gets us into the cloud management, you know, business. So if, if you're open to it, love to hear what is the Anna story? <laughs> Absolutely. So I actually started my first official full time in an office desk job as a technical editor on a government contract for a big uh, government defense agency. Wow. And I was handed on my first day a tome, if you will, of acronyms that I swear was two inches thick. And I was told I had to memorize all the acronyms that the government used across all of their military, everything so that I could properly edit these documents. And I'm just, I call, remember calling my mom after that and going, why, why, why am I doing this? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And the people were really nice, but I was really bored. And I started making friends with some of the guys who worked there who were running the IT, the system administrators. And I had extra time at that point. We were in one of those, you know, it was a peak and valley kind of job. A big document would come in, you'd be super, super busy. In between those, it was slower. And so they started teaching me system administration. Then I started helping out. And I met some more people at the company. And there was a small group that was to focus on commercial as opposed to government. And I kept seeing the guy at the coffee shop, right? And, And so we started talking and he's like, well, tell you what, if you can learn how to build a website and how to build a Linux server and how to administer it, I could use a webmaster. And I'm like, how long do I have? And he said, two weeks. 
I'm like, okay. So I went home and my, uh, my downstairs neighbor was actually a software engineer and I knocked on his door and I'm like, hi, we've met a couple times. Where do I start? And he handed me these O'Reilly books, like three of them. <laughs> and yeah. I went and in two weeks with uh, some coaching from him and a lot of hair pulling and reading, I learned how to build a Linux server from spare parts, get it running, get a website up and running on it with five or six different pages. And I went in and showed him, uh, showed that to the gentleman and he's like, okay, you're hired. So then I became <laughs> a webmaster. And then from there, you know, uh, we started on a project and he, he came to me and he's like, well, you're pretty good at figuring stuff out. Uh, we need like some way to track customers who are having problems. So I created a database and then a web form on top of it so people could put tickets in. And then I moved around to a few different companies, built a lot of different software applications, built teams to do them. And after a few years, I realized that I was having a lot more fun trying to figure out what the problem was that the people were trying to solve and, and figuring out a solution for that as to actually just writing the code. And so then I became a business relationship manager working with a very large online university at the time, working with different departments to figure out what their IT problems were and solve for them. And then I became the director of cloud for that company. And I moved with a lot of people, not taking full single responsibility for it, moved them to Office 365, moved them to Azure and moved some stuff into AWS. And then they hired a new C-level and it was time for me to move on. And I came to work for PCM and then was acquired by Insight. Yeah. Wow. Cool. That's, I applaud your rolling up the sleeves and I mean, sometimes that's the best way to learn. I think, you know, where you just kind of immerse yourself in it and get, you know, make all those mistakes or not to say you made mistakes, Anna, because I'm sure you did. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I, know, I, know I don't I, learn so well if I don't. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's, I don't think you really learn something until until you blow it up. We used to have a kind of a joke uh, as we were training new software people and new system administration, all of the new folks coming into IT and operations that you don't really get it until you actually broke production. Yeah, then wow. you get it. So it becomes very, very real. Why, why do we have these processes? Why do we have all of these double checks? So you don't do what you just did. But, yeah. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, there's nothing like pain to sort of sear in a memory and a lesson, you know, and that's fair. It is. Yeah, my I, husband uh, has the ability to read a, a technical manual and immediately understand and apply everything he's learned. I have to get my hands dirty and get up to my elbows before it makes sense. I thought when you were going to, when you said that you went downstairs to the software engineer and he handed you the books, I thought you were going to say that that was your husband. Nope, not at that time. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> Just heard Which would have been maybe. a great, like, that would have been a movie. So. <laughs> but that's, I, that's my cool. brother-in-law is, uh, he graduated from um, Michigan in medical school, and he's a pediatrician in Ann Arbor. He, and I knew him all through medical school. He learned that way as well. Just absolutely would read something and digest it and you know, would not have to study that much. He just absolutely got it. And it was like, oh man, I, I hate you. Yeah. Exactly, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like the people who can eat all the desserts they want and never gain any weight, right? The That's same right. kind of thing. It's right. like, how did you get that lucky? You did something right in the past life. That's yeah, right. right, right. So, okay. So now our job is to sort of 
turn this into a cloud management conversation, which, um, you know, again, is really sweeping. You know, I, it's almost a dangerous thing to say, you know, cloud management, two words that I don't know, you know. So I know that let me let me try and break it down. So, you know, I guess today at Insight and I think within our industry, there's this, you know, reality or journey that our customers take where they choose to adopt the cloud in any form, but let's just call it the public cloud today. And, you know, just from a kind of terminology perspective, that could be Azure, could be the AWS, could be Google, you know, like those are the big three pillars. And as they adopt the cloud, you know, the the thing doesn't stop there. You know, from that point on, it's this evolving investment that has all these different layers to it. And you have to be able to optimize that investment and that becomes more than the notion behind cloud management. And I know, Anna, your team is immersed in this every day. So, you know, kind of as you reflect on that term cloud management, you know, I get you know, it's like a Rorschach test. You know, what do you think? You know, and here's here's the here's the ink blot. You know, like what what do you when I say those terms, what do you what are you thinking about? So I kind of break it into two buckets for me. You have to manage the security of your cloud and you have to manage the costs and the op, um, operations of your cloud. And in public cloud, I really believe that you should not separate costs and, op, and operations. They really have to go one in one with one another. Uh, so if you think about in your old fashioned days, if you needed to buy a new server, you know, you had to put the order in, you had to get procurement to order it for you. It had to ship, it'd show up, you plug it in, you'd burn it in, then you'd start updating it. It, it was a process. And now you click a button. Mm-hmm. Who in your environment can click that button? That right. person or persons, and it's probably persons, can cause you a whole lot of heartache and pain when it comes to looking at your bill at the end of the month, depending on which bucket buttons they clicked. So you have to really look at it from a holistic view from the people, the processes, and the technology. You can't separate them out anymore. Not that you ever yeah. really could, but now it's even more important. So when you talk, so let's let's kind of jump into that word operations, right? So and I completely agree with you. I think that's a great analogy too. You know, it's sort of flipping a switch. You know, light goes on. You're beginning. You know, you're getting the light, but it's costing you money. The um, you know, with, with operations. You know, I, I immediately think in terms of work, different kinds of workloads or different kinds of, you know, parameters that you put around those workloads. But is that too simple? I mean, how else would, would we want to characterize the idea of operations? That's a great question. So let's kind of break that down a little bit. So you can definitely turn look at it as uh, what you have running in the cloud. But you also, I think, need to look at those processes you have. How do you divide your cloud up? How do you say, do you determine that, hey, we've got a production environment, we have a non-production environment. How do we separate those two? Who's in charge of each one? Who gets to say, I will let your stuff from your non-production environment into my production environment? Mm. Is it one person? Is it a process? Is it, and then when, even when you go to your dev environment, who's watching your devs or controlling your devs? So if they spend something new up, that they've never played with before, someone's watching the cost on a daily basis to make sure whatever that new and fancy, shiny, cool tool is, isn't costing you $100 a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it really is to me a very holistic thing. It goes down to ownership. Who's really going to 
own the environment, who owns the application, who owns the decisions that are made, and what structures do they need to put in place to ensure that they're protected and that they're protecting the company. Yeah, uh, that makes perfect sense. So, Anna, do you think that a lot of the struggles right now that companies are having with the public cloud deals with cost management, right? And and like you were mentioning, there's a lot of different reasons for that. But do you do you think that's the number one pain point that customers are having once they get into the public cloud? I think it is, honestly. They so many customers, especially over COVID. They had to quickly transform the way they were doing business. They had to get there fast. Right. And, and especially, but once they got there, then they're like, oh my gosh, we have to be so careful with money. Everybody does these days. There's so much pressure on different companies and different individuals, but they had to get there fast. When you have to get there fast, you don't tend to think about all of the proper steps and checks and balances that you should put into place. You don't think about what future you in 12 months is going to wish you had done now. You just have to get it done. So I think so. I think there's, there's, and we've seen this thing. What is the statistic? I think you had Elliot about waste in the cloud. Yeah. You know, it bounces around, but like last year. um, All right. So I just said like last year. And so having (laughs) having kids, I'm, I am crazy about that, that like thing and the uh thing. And I'm, I'm the parent that every time they said it, I would count it and, now I just did it. And so, and now I didn't just do it, but I did it on a microphone and it's forever recorded. So That's right. I apologize. But Gartner has a stat that in 2020, $35 billion of cloud public cloud consumption was wasted or wasted consumption. And I'm sure that number bounces around, but you know, it's, you know, the misconception is that moving to the cloud is a cost efficient alternative. And that's not always the case. You know, and that's, I think, the broader point in all of this. Absolutely. I mean, I what I've, with one of my three cloud myths, one, it's inherently cheaper to move to the cloud. It's inherently more secure to move to the in-cloud. And then it's easy. Those are my three cloud myths. Yeah. It can be cheaper, right. but it's going to require a lot of work. And you're going to have to constantly optimize and take care of it and make sure that you are grooming that environment to be where you want to be. It's like growing a garden, right? You just have to be really, really careful. Keep the weeds out. Make sure that the bunnies aren't eating your stuff from underneath. And it, it's a lot of work. It's not easy. You're probably going to have to come with a company and put different procedures and processes in place that you may not even really be aware of to know everything that's going on. Who's watching your stuff? Who's Who in your environment is responsible for looking every day at your Azure cost manager or your cloud checker or your cloud health, or your cloud ability to make sure there's no spikes or to make sure that any bumps are known and expected and planned for because you were releasing new something into the environment and that that was recorded and known. There should be someone. Who is it? You just did two things that I think are critical. One is you started talking about, I think, in my opinion, best practices from a organizational process perspective, which is have one source of accountability tied to, I'll call it governance, but there could be a different word for it. And then you also listed a number of platforms that I'll call cloud monitoring platforms that are sort of rising to the top these days as it relates to this space. And earlier you mentioned people, process, and technology, and that sort of triangulates two of them or identifies two of them. So kind of pick pick your side. I mean, if you if you 
What's the best practice that you think we should be talking about that you've learned? What What are the platforms that you think are rising to the top? Would love your thoughts on either of those, both. So if we're looking at really from a cost management standpoint, uh, tags are so important. Coming up with a tagging strategy right now, if you're getting started, you're like, what? Yeah, okay, sure. In a year when you have to go figure out exactly what that application or that environment or that department, because marketing's running some stuff uh, in your cloud and their bill's going up and you that's coming out of your budget and you want to make sure that that's getting addressed properly, tagging is going to make future you so much happier. So, so, please, what's a ta- please, so for please, those tag. that aren't necessarily tuned into the word tag, ah. how would you define that? So a tag is really just a name value pair that you can assign to any resource in the cloud. So you're going to have, we usually start with uh, three key tags that we recommend, one being application, because you don't just run a, you, a server in the cloud, you run a server with something on it. What is that application that that server or service is running? The second one is environment. We've talked a little about production, non-production. If you have developed custom software for something, you probably have a development environment, maybe a QA environment, maybe a UAT environment, a production environment. You want to know what all of those are costing you. Putting a tag on those resources is kind of like having a filter in your Excel spreadsheet that allows you to really quickly just say, I just want to see it from this this lens. I want to see this subset, that subset. So in Azure, in AWS, in Google, uh, even in VMware to a certain extent, you can go and say this resource, my application is my CRM. My environment is production, non-production, whatever. My department is maybe this isn't my CRM, maybe this is the financial system. So I'm going to tag that to finance. I need to know how much finance is costing me. Maybe this is our marketing department's uh, content delivery network. So I'm going to tag that to marketing. So I can go back to you later on and go, hey, marketing, did you know that the stuff you're running out in the cloud just spiked? And I don't want that coming out of my budget anymore. And here's your bill. Right. Right. Fair enough. It's like the, the kitchen. This is the kitchen lights. This is the living room lights. And I know I just sort of conflated everything, but that's I get <laughs> it. That makes perfect sense. And OK, so from a platform perspective, what's the you know, what? and that's a Wild West type conversation, but love to hear your thoughts on that. So from a platform, you meaning like a cost tool for the cloud platform or? I, You know, so I'm, I'm starting to think about things like cloud checker or you know the other types of platforms that you know customers we others may use to monitor their public cloud consumption and you know financial impact and all the other things and maybe even talking about all the other things that come with that type of tool mm, gotcha. yeah to double click on that and i think it'd be great if you when you talk about that or think about that is there inherent tools to AWS Google or Azure that makes um, their platform have ingrained tools that do a better job than others in, in that space as well I would love to know okay so in 30 in general, seconds or less in 30 seconds <laughs> or right. less the gosh <laughs> uh, there's so many tools out there find one that you like find one that is cost effective. Many of those tools are priced on a percentage of spend. 
So they can get very, very pricey. But the goal is really, right, that single pane of glass. So if you have Azure, you have Google, you have AWS, you want to be able to see everything in your cloud from that one lens, that one executive dashboard, green, yellow, red, everything's good. Oh my gosh, there's a spike. This is going out of control and see that very quickly. It's still a little bit of um, a unicorn to get that across all platforms. Within the platforms themselves, most of them have some sort of built-in cost management tool, which can be very, very good, but I think they all have limitations right now. Uh, It depends on what you're doing and how you're using it. They're great for this. They're not necessarily great for this and that, oh, and that over there. So it's a journey. I would really recommend for a customer, if you're working with someone like Insight or like, do they have something they can offer you at a discount? That would be huge, right? Because these things can get very expensive. And if not, and you want to really do this on your own, what interface makes the most sense to you? When you look at it, what are you going to be able to adapt and adopt very quickly so you are comfortable using this tool because this is something you should be in every single day? Yeah. And so, I, so let's talk through a few of these things. And I know that, you know, here we use a number of tools in, you know, a number of our different um, managed environments. So we work with our customers and we, if we're managing their cloud environment, we use these tools to act on our customers' behalf or to work with them to manage their environments. And I know that to Bob's point, you know, if, if we're in Azure, for example, and we're in the modern you know, the Azure plan, we have access to what's called Azure Cost Manager. And that's, you know, and that has advantages and disadvantages, but it's part of Azure. So it's within that concept of Microsoft brings this to the table. Um, and I think that's what you were talking about, right, Bob? You know, it in terms is. Of, yeah. 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 And so like, so let's start there. I mean, what, what's your take on that Azure Cost Manager, you know, in terms of the experience and the value that it's bringing? I actually really do like Azure Cost Manager. Um, minute every day to help out customers. The fact that Azure Cost Manager, you're already in the Azure portal. It's that's both a benefit and uh, a detriment in some cases. If you're the technical person who's responsible for your environment, it's great. It's right there with everything else you have. It's all tied together. Your recommendations from advisor are right there. However, if you are in procurement or in finance, maybe they don't want to give you a account into their Azure portal. And so that's kind of like, you know, playing in somebody, I don't really want to be in my company's accounting system, but I need information from them. Mm-hmm. So the information that it has is great. The limitation of it is for at least for CSP right now, Azure Cost Manager only displays at the subscription level and down. It doesn't go cross subscription. Microsoft has said that they are working on uh, updates and changes such that you can set up management groups, which means I can say, I want to see these three subscriptions together. Great. That's what I'm responsible for. But it's uh, I don't even know if they have a date out yet for that. So within the tool for that subscription, it's a great tool. You can slice down. You can very easily see changes, which is really what you're looking for to see. And oh, gosh, what happened? Why did this go from? a dollar a day to $10 a day. That's a huge jump for a resource. And then those ad- recommendations uh, that advisor gives you for, hey, did you know that you've got machines over here that are hanging out and aren't really working very hard? You're using maybe 10% of their capacity. Maybe you should dial those down and save yourself some money. 
those are key. And then, oh, go ahead, Bob. Yeah, so Anna, I was really thinking, you know, I, I like to think from a business standpoint because I'm not a technical person. It seems to me that there's a huge opportunity for a platform to come into this space and provide that one plane in class. I know that a lot of people are working on it and doing it, but I feel like for what ServiceNow has become in the enterprise space for workflow, that there is some type of similar play here in the cloud because at some point, you know, people are gonna be at cloud capacity. They're gonna get their workloads moved. They're gonna be in the cloud. You know, whatever the cloud consumptions is gonna be billions of billions of dollars, you know, in the US and worldwide. Um, and managing that is going to become such a, a big portion of what the industry is going to be in the next five to 10 years. You know, if you could put, if you can look into a crystal ball, what do you think you would see in the cloud management moving forward? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, there's so many players out there and they're all working really hard to be able to truly offer that single plane of glass across all clouds and not just the cost management, but those recommendations and those optimizations. With any industry, when there's new tools that come out, usually you see like one leader and then all of a sudden there's 20 of them and uh, it goes really, really wide. And then they sort of start to coalesce back down to a few key ones. I wish I could see it. I, would, I know what I would want a tool to do. I keep waiting for someone who is actually going to do all of those things at a reasonable cost point. And I think that's really the struggle. I don't know when they're going to get there and being able to do that across cross cloud cleanly and efficiently where you can say this tool is as good at AWS as it is at Azure, as it is as Google. I think it's going to be a little bit before they get there. Yeah, everything's evolving very quickly too. You know, so, I mean, it's, there's a lot of moving parts right now. And yeah. I don't know if that's going to stop anytime soon. And that's probably why it's so hard to get one management tool for all three, right? Yeah. It's just, sure. It just changes so quickly. But, you know, if I'm a future CIO, I feel like instead of, you know, having a dashboard of how my data center is performing, it's going to be how my three or four public clouds are performing on a daily basis and making sure that instead of performance that, you know, I don't have a $100,000 spike one day because that can really, uh, you know, shoot budgets through the moon. So, you know, I my, my future looking at it is, is there's got to be a way to be able to manage these um, big public cloud spends. Um, I had a executive tell me um, and when it comes to cloud, billion is the new million as far as dollars being spent by even one single organization that's hard to believe but you know large organizations are going to be spelling billions of dollars themselves in the cloud and they're doing that already and being able to control that spend and making sure it's the right type of spend is uh that's going to be a, a huge industry moving forward i believe yeah agreed agreed so, Anna, earlier we talked about there were a couple buckets, and one of the buckets you called out was security uh, and managing security in, in the public cloud, which, again, you know, like those are two tough words to put together, you know. And what, what are you seeing in terms of 
best practices, you know, I would say, you know, concerns, the things that, you know, you're running into every day with our clients. Turn on MFA correctly. <laughs> That's best practice. Please, 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 if I could convince customers, turn on MFA and implement it correctly. Microsoft posted some statistics. So wait, really quick. Yeah, just you guys tell us what quick. that is. So <laughs> MFA is multi-factor authentication. And um, and then when we say that, what are we referring to? The multi-factor authentication is going beyond just having that username and password into having a third piece that helps prove you are who you say you are. Uh, you, you know, in the movies, they always had the retinal scanners or you know, fingerprint scanners. And, and that is, could be part of it. So it's something you're given, which is your username. It's something you know that you created, which is your password. And it's something that you are. And it's kind of funny because what you are is now extended to your cell phone. Uh, if you guys saw Jumanji, the, the new one with The Rock and, and Jack yep. Black, at one point in time, Jack Black, who's you know playing a teenage girl, says, uh, you know, since I can't, since I've lost my cell phone, it's like all my other senses have come alive. And I love that, that they considered the cell phone a sense, but sure. MFA kind of considers your cell phone a sense. If you have your cell phone, you have your app, you have, um, that one more piece of proof that you are who you say you are. It's huge. Uh, Microsoft yeah. statistics that they reported at the beginning of 2020 referencing I believe the 2019 year, I'm going to get them a little bit wrong, bear with me, but they were something crazy that 80% of the cyber attacks that had occurred would have been, would not have occurred if companies had correctly implemented MFA. And then to take that one step further, they also said that out of their customers who had MFA from a package of of service that they had, a package they had purchased from Microsoft, only 18% had implemented it. Mm. So I mean, that's, that's number. unforced error. You know, that's sort exactly. of. Yeah. Exactly. That's, that's, uh, we, that's the number one. And really today, your users, your identities are your new perimeter. You don't go into a castle behind a moat and work entirely in those those confines anymore with everything being SaaS, wherever your users go on the internet, whatever systems they log into, that is your perimeter. You've got to take care of those users. So what else on the security side beyond MFA? What what do we, you know, from a best practice perspective or, you know, regular type of conversations, you know, how does that, how does that go down in a managed type of sequence? So we do have a a recommendation that we kind of go through, and it's talking about the top five attack vectors for clients. And if you're talking about those attack vectors, the number one is coming in through email, the phishing campaigns, uh, anti-malware, spyware, anything that you could click on that has a malicious payload. So protect yourself there. Use all of those tools that are, you know, contained in most of the Exchange Online products or Proofpoint, you have access to those tools. Do the best you can to lock down and protect your email users from themselves. So that's the first one. If 80% of the attacks are coming in through email, take care of it there. If your users are protected, they're using MFA when they're accessing systems, 
you know it's them and it's not somebody who spoofed their credentials. So that's obviously really up there as well. The other way in that the bad guys are really finding these days, especially with ransomware as a service attacks, is that they have software, really, systems that are crawling the internet looking for doors that are open, points on the internet where systems are exposed where they shouldn't be. Sometimes these are your firewalls and they're supposed to be exposed, but maybe they're not supposed to be quite that exposed. Mm -hmm. So have you patched them? Or have you changed your passwords from your default passwords? Have you looked at anything that's public facing in your network and in your company and made sure that what is public facing? And by public facing, I just mean that it can be routed to on the internet somehow by a system and make sure that that door is closed or you know, you've got the property security on it to only allow it to be a door for exactly what it's supposed to be. That really kind of falls into, are you really following all your IT best practices? Are you patching? Are you using the newest operating systems? Are you using the tools, the, the firewalls, the anti-malware, um, the anti-spam, the antivirus stuff that you should be, all of the basics are checked and you are keeping up to date. You guys have probably seen in the news with the exchange on-prem. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, I, a lot of those could have been mitigated if they were truly kept up to date and were modern systems and well-patched. I just can't believe there's people still with exchange on-prem. <laughs> yes, yeah, that one kind of blows my mind too. Absolutely. I mean, what's interesting to me is that you know it, when people talk about the cloud, you can't get that response where people say, "Well, I don't know if it's secure," but it's really not about the security of the cloud. I mean, the you know the Azure data center is incredibly secure. The it. The security vulnerabilities are outside of the cloud. It's within the, you know, the environment that is leveraging the cloud. You know, most of the things that you just talked about were, you know, to your point, within the perimeter or they're with the employees or they're with, you know, the, not the actual data center itself, but how the customer engages the cloud. That's where the vulnerability, you know, people, people kind of lump it all together, but it's in their control very often. Absolutely. And goes back to one of my cloud myths that I mentioned earlier is that it's inherently secure. Even if you're building in Azure, you're at AWS, you're building on a secure platform, but you can build something that's completely non-secure on top of a secure platform and open it up. So you do have to use caution and make sure you're doing what you're supposed to be doing correctly on top of that. And we've seen people build servers in Azure that they thought were just stuff that they were logging into, but they had assigned them a public IP address and they hadn't put any controls or any firewalls over them so anyone could get to them. And mm. they just didn't realize because it's another checkbox as you go through when you spin up a server. So, yeah, I mean, everything that we talk about, I think really speaks loudly to process. It speaks loudly to the right technology. So in this sort of people process technology conversation, when it comes to people, um, you know, right now you've got a very deliberate, defined group of people that are supporting customers in this world. And then you have access to this robust arsenal of people within Insight. 
you know, what, what are the kind of folks that really should be protecting or optimizing cloud environment? What do those people look like from a credential perspective, background perspective, that sort of thing? Oh, gosh. Uh, we've seen that be very wildly ranging over our clients, and it depends on the size of the client. But as I was kind of talking about before, anyone who has the ability to click on that button and say, I want something new in your cloud, whoever that is, that person needs to be very aware of those processes and what they should be doing before they're allowed to have that type of permissions in that environment. We've seen it be everybody from um, an admin user all the way through C-levels in smaller companies who are, you know, hands-on and are trying to help and make things work. So it's, I don't know if there's any one particular role or easy definition for that one. No, but I like the way you brought it back. You know, you, you brought it back to the question of accountability and, you know, the notion that whoever that person is, it's not just the formality of clicking a button or flipping a switch. It's understanding the implications at a lot of different layers, you know, from a technology or from a financial perspective. That That's a fairly, you know, I think the, the point there is don't be cavalier about the people you put in, you know, that point of responsibility. So I think exactly. that makes a ton of sense. So, Anna, I got a question for you. Um, I, I used to work with a guy that used to, before he did a project or a presentation, he would ask, what does success look like? Give me an example. And then he would say, what does disaster look like? And give me ex an example of what a disaster would be. So you work with a lot of clients. Your teams work with a lot of clients. Give us a great example of someone that had managed you know, the public cloud um, and done a really good job with the help of your team, of course. And give us a, a disaster example of somebody that was just a mess and uh, was really hard to get back on the right track. <laughs> oh, boy. We have worked with a customer who actually, when they decided that they wanted to go to the cloud in the first place, they reached out to Insight and we engaged in a professional services engagement with them to go through what should that look like for them. Mm -hmm. And we actually did the whole Azure framework, including those operational practices. We helped them define owners and a RACI, a tagging schema, naming conventions. And they came back to us uh, a year or two later, actually fairly recently. And we we met with them as they were coming into CSP and it was they had followed like all of the recommendations and things just slotted into place and Azure cost manager gave them exactly the reports that they wanted because they had all of their tags there and it was we were all kind of looking at each other going, oh, that was easy. <laughs> but they had put in a lot of work up front for it. So that's probably one of the cleanest environments that I've seen. They started, they started with help, with help rather, rather than, than trying to make it up and figure it out as they went. That's a great example. The disaster one is always the hard one. Yeah, I'm trying to think my way through that one a little bit. Uh, so disaster environment, met with a client not long ago. Here's an example. It's like, I don't know if it's disaster, but they were very, very concerned because their bill had jumped several thousand dollars in the last month 
and we took a look at the roles and the people who could click the button to add more. They had over 50 people on the list of folks who could add more money, add more spend to their environment. That's probably one of the roughest ones I've seen. It's like when you give your credit card to everybody in your family. It's exactly like that. Except <laughs> you also gave it to your teenage uh, teenage kids' friends. Right. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine. I could imagine, actually. That's scary. Really cool. Um, I think, I mean, Anna, really appreciate you joining us today. This is perfect. Yeah, really, great you know, job. Really Thank great you. conversation. It was so, fun, guys. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Of course. You bet. And that puts a wrap to episode 17. We need a coming attractions line, Bob, where we can say coming next time. Intel? Like we may, yeah, I mean, we, yeah, that's a little bit of a tease. That's good. <laughs> we'll go with that. Yeah. yeah. All right, folks. Well, we'll see you real soon. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.